You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, here for a Wednesday where the Bucks have an off day ahead of a back to back against Atlanta on the road and then the Portland Trailblazers at home. With that in mind, I have got a guest with us today. Andrew Bogut did join the podcast to talk about a number of interesting things in, in one of the more, uh, I don't know, I mean, if you lived and breathed this uh, day in, day out, trials and tribulations of this Bucks era from around 2005 to 2012, 13, uh, ahead of Giannis coming in. It was it was a rough stretch, and there was lots of stuff that was going on and a lot of stuff that um, you know we didn't get many answers for, and we didn't get the opportunity to talk to someone that was in the middle of that. So uh, I do hope that you, you find this chat with Andrew pretty interesting. I know, I know for me, um, asking some of these questions, there's always been questions that I've had in my mind. So for me, this was... Uh, was a fun one, and and hopefully you guys feel the same. Before we jump straight into it, I do want to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash NBA. or if you're listening on the go and you can't visit or if you're listening on the go and you can't visit Audible right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. So as I said right off the top, we have got a special guest today. He was the number one overall pick in the 2005 NBA draft. He spent seven seasons with the Bucks, over 400 games. He was All-NBA third-team member in 2010. It is Andrew Bogut. Thanks for uh, taking the time to jump on, mate. No worries. So I want to dive straight into this Bucks stuff. I think this is, it was such an interesting time, I, I think, for the franchise when you were there, and there was a bunch of stuff happening that hasn't been spoken about a lot. But I want to start, first of all, just with you being drafted number one overall. There's a lot of pressure that comes with that. And also there's a lot of scrutiny in terms of the guys that come after you. In your draft, it was Duran Williams and Chris Paul that people spoke about a lot. When you look back at that time, how do you think you handled that, uh, the pressure of being a number one pick, both internally and, and I guess from the outside? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, look, it, was, it, w- it wasn't easy. Um, I think going into unknown was probably the hardest thing. Um, Having having a, a pretty decent support network at the University of Utah, coming from from Australia, um, transitioning to America pretty easy, um, getting drafted to Milwaukee and then becoming a professional, um, basically 
you know, it's your job now. Um, I felt much more isolated and kind of by myself, um, if that makes sense. And and then dealing with with, with all that pressure and and um, just just how quickly it all takes off with the NBA. Like you, you know, once once things start, you're you're right in there. Um, and I wouldn't say I had a I had an outstanding rookie year. I wouldn't say I had a bad rookie year. I think I was was quite average. Um, had some good games and showed potential. But um, yeah, maybe I, I think it. You know, just was not knowing how to handle it was the hardest thing. I think maybe having a, a, a probably a close knit group at the time would have probably helped me a lot more than it did. Probably just a little bit isolated at times, and just like I said, didn't didn't know um, how to handle it. I hadn't really spoke to anyone that had been through it, and um, obviously family and friends um, are, are kind of kind of in the dark on advising you because no one's ever been through it. So that was probably the hardest thing. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you, you're probably hard on yourself there. You, you played all 82 games. You, you started in 77 of those. And you actually had a, a bunch of veterans on, on that team when you first came in with Tony Kay and Joe Smith. And I, I think you, you started most of the games next to Jamal McGlure as well. Were those guys a big help in, in terms of that? Or was it just hard to sort of, uh, I guess, break that barrier of being the super young guy coming in with these vets? Yeah, it was a mix. Um, look, we weren't, the, the Milwaukee Bucks at the time weren't, um, horrible going into that into the draft where they drafted me. I think they lucked out with the number one pick against the odds. Um, so they were still a pretty competitive team, and and um, you know Michael Red and TJ Ford and Mo Williams and, and Desmond Mason was still there, and I think um, it was still expected to, to be a playoff team. So it wasn't a situation where I came in and and you know like most number one picks you you're going to play 35, 40 minutes and you're probably going to win 15 games, but they're going to blood you as much as possible and give you as much time out there. It was, it was a, it was a balance of that. Um, we had a new head coach in Terry Stotts, who's now with Portland, obviously, and we're trying to win games. So I was, you know, one, one, one rare state is I was one of the, one of the few, I think since the number one pick since I think it was Tim Duncan was the only one, um, um, at least recently when I was in the league that, that made the playoffs. So, um, yeah, it was it was definitely a mix of things, but uh, Desmond Mason was really really good to me. Um, great great veteran, um, probably a guy that, that helped me out. And then and then during preseason, I guess I got my first taste of how brutal the NBA is. Um, Desmond Mason was gone within within a month of training camp um, for Jamal McGlure, so um, that all that all went you know pretty crazy. Yeah, and and you mentioned Terry Stotts, and this was interesting, and I, I sort of forgot about some of this until I was looking back at, and reading some stuff um, in preparation for this. And you come into the second year, so you you play the playoffs in the first year. It was it was a short series, but coming into year two, all of a sudden, you mentioned some of the guys are gone. There's a bunch of injuries, and Terry Stotts is gone <laughs> after not long. And it was a weird situation because. I think a lot of you guys were in the dark and weren't really expecting this. Larry Kay was just having some meetings with Utah, um, potentially about to take that coaching job. I mean, what what was going on in, in this period of time? And, and did you have any clue that this was potentially going to happen? Um, yeah, so, somewhat. Um, so, you know, Larry Larry Kay was obviously, um, I, was, I was pretty good with him and he was kind of my, my workout coach or my, my individual coach. So I knew him pretty well, but... Um, I think yeah we had we had a bad run with injuries. Um, it got towards the end of the season, and they I had a, I had a, like a foot sprain, um, and this is when I didn't really understand the business of the NBA. I, I was I was just playing on a, on, a, on a mid foot sprain and, and playing through it and playing fine, and then the, the franchise basically tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Hey, we'd rather you not play the rest of the year and um, and, and you know get your foot right." And I thought, "Oh, my foot must be worse than it is," um, not realizing that. 
essentially it was it was time to shut up shop and try to get a, a higher pick in the draft. Um, but I didn't know that at the time. I thought I had a serious foot injury, but it probably wasn't as serious as, as I thought. Um, and then we had about 20 games left and, um, and yeah, that all, that all kind of, that all kind of went downhill real quick, I think. Um, so then Larry, I got a call, I think it was from, from, from the owner um, at the time and just asking like what I thought of Larry and, um, there's rumours that he might leave to college. I said, yeah, he's, he's, been, he's been good to me. I've, I really respect him, this, that, this, that. And, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, Terry was gone and Larry took over. So he took over for the rest of that season. Um, we finished on a positive note and won some games. And then, and then um, you know, he, he was obviously the head coach going to camp the next year and, and that didn't go too well. So he was, he was gone after that year. And then obviously the Scott Scars year started after that. Yeah, I mean that that's kind of the crazy thing about it. I guess the next season as you as you mentioned, uh you go 26 and 56 and then Skiles is in and Skiles this was an interesting one and I'm curious to talk to you about this because I would if I was if I was guessing I'd say that you don't mind a, a harder coach and I think that's clearly what Skiles was known for, but I also think there's this sort of reputation out there that he was a coach that had a use by date and perhaps that that hard approach got old with teams i mean what was he like as a coach with that group and do you think that some of that is fair or that's all uh sort of bullshit well i think history says that it could be fair i mean no um you know he, he gets the most out of his guys especially in those first couple of years and you know some people do make an argument that the guys do get burnt out but i mean i, I really Learned a lot from him. Um, he re- he was the first coach that that held me accountable defensively. I got, I got labelled as a defensive bus coming out of out of college, and 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 that you know, in college I couldn't afford to fail out. You know, I'm, I mean, I was I was a twenty and twelve guy in college, and probably could have been better defensively, but couldn't really afford to fail. So I didn't didn't really contest a whole lot of shots at the rim and block as many shots as I could have. So I got labelled a, a defensive lab that kind of that I wasn't a good defender and. He was he was the first guy that challenged me and said, "Hey, you can be you can be a good defender. Um, I'm going to challenge you for that." And you know, your offensive game's come along, but we need your defense to get better. And he really got my defense to to an elite level of of understanding that as a big in the NBA, you're the quarterback of the defense, and 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 a good defense, you know, doesn't isn't any good if the big guy's not talking and protecting the rim and and being physical. So I really really learned a lot, and I still think to this day he's one of the best X's and O's coaches I've ever had. Um, I think he. He understands the game really well. He was a point guard when he played. Um, he's he's unbelievable in, in preparing for games, um, and he you know he was really really good off 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 the board drawing up plays and and all that kind of stuff. I think you know as you mentioned, I think the one thing that I think you know he struggled with maybe was just just turning it, turning it down a little bit at times. Um, and I think a lot of guys obviously did get to get frustrated and burnt out from it and and struggled to to play with him and. Play, play for him after an extended period of time, and, and look. To be honest, after my third year with him, fourth year with him, it was it was a little bit tough because it was it was you know the same old thing. I think the franchise was was kind of stuck in this in this revolving door um, where you know it felt like everyone that we got either in a trade or signed in free agency um, was coming to Milwaukee to try and get their numbers up to go somewhere else, and I was kind of the only guy on a long term deal, and it was it was very very frustrating. So, um, but yeah, I I can't I can't fault you know what Skiles did. I think he, he turned that he turned that place around um, for for what he had and the resources that he had. And it was just a matter of we just we just couldn't form any stability um, as far as his playing roster. If you look back, I think every 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 damn off season coming into a year, we 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 had seven, eight, nine new players, um, and you're not you're not going to win like that in the NBA. 
Yeah, I want to I want to get back to that in, in a little bit because I, I think that the and for a number of reasons which we'll touch on, but that 2011 season in particular, where the expectations were that this was going to be a really good team, and you had just a bunch of guys, as you mentioned, that never really seemed like they were going to be long term fits. But with Skiles, you, you mentioned that he was a point guard, and, and obviously Brandon Jennings. It, it, it's interesting to look back. I mean, obviously, as that really hot start, you look at that 2010 season where he was playing really well with you. And then, uh, the, obviously, the playoff series against the Hawks, he plays really well in in a lead role with, with John Salmons, obviously, with, with yourself out. What do you think the relationship was with Jennings and Skiles? And do you think Skiles was good for him? Because last season, I was talking to Jared Dudley and about Jason Kidd and Jabari Parker. And he sort of said to me that, Jason Kidd was terrible for Jabari Parker because he was that hard coach. Jennings was obviously out of the league a lot earlier than anyone thought was going to be the case. There was an injury there as well. But what what was the relationship there? Do you think Skiles was good for Jennings? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't there the whole time. I can tell you, in, in Brandon's rookie year, um, you know, Skiles did um, kind of kind of let him um, play his game. I mean, you know, Skiles is a, is a pretty hard task master. Master and he, he likes he likes people playing within his system and and playing disciplined basketball, but he understood that Brandon was a rare talent and, and and kind of let him you know take some bad shots every now and then if he got hot. So I mean yeah. he, he had a really good rookie year under Skiles and Skiles kind of let him um, a little bit more than most guys kind of off the leash a little bit, which was which was great. And and you could kind of see Skiles understood how I could let this, let this kid play a little bit, but I'm, I'm still going to hold him accountable defensively and and make sure he plays hard for me. But um, you know, Brandon obviously had had a lot of a lot of pub coming in, and, and and I guess I think after I left, I think it was that 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 second or third year. I think it was the second year, uh, Brandon's second year. Um, um, yeah, just all it just all kind of went 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 pear shaped, and I heard they had clashes and whatnot. But I mean, I didn't really see any of it to that extent. I know Brandon had frustrations, and so did Skiles. But like it was it was like any any coaching relationship that wasn't there wasn't anything that ever blew up. So. Um, I didn't see it. I, I can only only go by, you know, when I was there. It was it was all it was all good, and it was a it was a you know a working environment that was both sides were holding each other accountable. And I think Brandon had a great rookie year for us, and you know that that roster that we had was 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 a great roster. I think just because we had a great mix of of veterans and and youth, but then you know for some reason in off season we tried to try to hit a home run um, and lost a lot of guys that helped us get to. Get to that point, and that that really was frustrating for me because I thought we we're finally turning the corner. Guys like Kurt Thomas and Luke Rick now are just great veterans that wouldn't have cost a whole lot to keep, and and we let them walk and thought, you know, we'll go out and get these other big names, and and our and our chemistry and culture from that fear the year just went went out the window. Yeah, and in the lead up to that, um, I, I mean, we don't need to talk about the actual incident, but in my time in Milwaukee last year, I spent a bit of time talking with Charles Gardner, who obviously you would have uh, had many conversations with. And one of the things that he told me was during the off season after that arm injury, and I'm not sure if you remember this, I was trying to track down the story, but he said at some point along the line, whether it was emails or text or whatever it was, you said to him in the summer that you didn't think you were ever going to be the same again. And that's a, that, if that's true, if you remember that, that's a pretty wild thing to say given you know, the way that you were playing and, and the way that all, all panned out. When you think back to that summer after the injury, I mean, where were you at mentally? I mean, I know physically, obviously, you were struggling a little bit, but mentally after playing so well. Yeah, I don't remember saying that. I maybe said something along the lines of my arm wouldn't be the same again. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't remember saying I wouldn't be yeah. at the same level again. But 
um, yeah, it was it was it was a demoralising injury. I finally, you know, lived up to that number one pick, I think, and averaged you know sixteen, seventeen, ten, ten a night, and um, you know thought I should make the All Star team that year and didn't didn't make it, just missed out, but then made the All NBA third team. So so really really felt like it was it was all coming together and and felt confident out there and consistency started to you know. I believe um, consistency in my first couple of years was, was a problem. I'd have 20 and 10 one night and then, you know, five and five the next night um, where I finally in that fear that year just, just finally played consistent basketball. And, yeah, the arm thing happened and unfortunately it was my shooting hand. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, so I did it in, I think it was March and um, probably rushed back from it, to be honest. I uh, came back, I think, way too soon. I was... I was already playing basketball at training. You know, I was full, full contact training camp, which which is four or five months later. I'm already playing NBA basketball, and it was it was essentially a six to nine month injury that I was back in four months and and, and try to play through it. And basically, you know, the crux of it is I I lost all my shooting touch and, and, and any kind of potency with my right arm. And thankfully, I had a left at the time, at least in the post, so I could still still manage to be out there on NBA court and contribute. But um, yeah, man, it was it was real, it was real frustrating to see that the way it is, and I was told, you know, by some doctors, you probably won't, won't regain that touch for a number of years, and they were right. It took me two or three years to finally even be able to get under the ball again, just to shoot a free throw. So it was it was it was tough. So how was? I mean, you you say that you probably shouldn't have come back, and that was the follow up I had from that because you already touched on the off season you had, but I remember like this this team was seriously hyped, and and you were obviously the the main reason for that, and you're sitting there and you know that you probably don't feel like you're going to be the same. So was was there pressure coming from yourself internally that I want to get back out there and I want to play or the team or where was where was that coming from? Uh, probably a bit of both, probably 60-40 me. Um, you know, obviously they just um, gave me a big contract the year before and, and that, was a, that was going into the first year of that contract. Um, so there was some pressure to come back, but, but there was also me being hard-headed and, the doctor says six to nine months. I try to try to do three months. <laughs> you get back on th- in three months. Kind of that's a competitive nature I had, and and, and that was probably stupid. Um, you know, I had had some issues. Like I said, I, I was complaining. You know, I'd shoot every now and then, every fifth shot, and I'd feel like someone stabbed me in the elbow, and was kind of you know telling our, our training staff, look, something's wrong. Like I think I got you know nerve damage or something wrong with my elbow, and. And, and it got to a point where they were kind of like, you know, just suck it up, you pussy, kind of like, you know, just go out there and play. There's nothing wrong with you. And I knew something was wrong. And in that off season, I went and got a went and got a scope, a clean out, and had surgery again on it. And um, there was a massive chunk of floating bone just floating around in my in my elbow joint, which isn't the biggest the biggest joint in the body to have things floating around in. And um, so playing playing through that for a whole season um, was 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 you know I was like okay, so I played through a lot of pain, and I definitely wasn't imagining it. So, um, yeah, look, it was disappointing and I still, I don't know what my numbers were that year. It was, I was still a double-double. I don't, I don't know how yeah. many points. I think it was 11 or 12 points a game and still a double-double. And I think I um, started to really, really, really get good defensively because um, I was like, you know what, like my offense has dropped a little bit because my touch is gone, but I'm going to try to dominate the game defensively. And, um, you know, started blocking a lot more shots and taking, I think I was up there in block shots and top five in charges taken one year and was really you know, establishing myself as a great defender. And thankfully I did because, you know, down the track where I ended up in Golden State and whatnot, that, that ended up being my primary role. Yeah, 12.8 points, 11.1 rebounds. And, and you led the league in, in blocks per game, 2.6, which is obviously pretty remarkable given given what, you, you know, you just admit that you were going through. But 
you touched on that that off season, and and was this something? Because there's there's players you bring in there. I think Drew Gooden was one. Corey McGetty, uh, I think, was another that that came in. And you you look back now, and you said that you're frustrated that they brought these guys in. You thought you had um, something building. Was this something even before you played that internally? You're just like, I don't know what what the direction of this franchise is. Why are we bringing these guys in after the the chemistry and and the group that we had? Well, yeah, it wasn't so much disrespect to those guys. I mean, they're great players in their own right. It, it was more so. It was more so the fact that we, um, you know, I felt like Kurt Thomas was unbelievable for us. He was he was getting older. Um, he was almost forty that year, but or thirty nine. But I was like, even if we bring him back for for six to eight minutes, he was sensational, and he was a bit mean guy, so he wasn't making huge money. Um, so they let him walk for nothing. Um, right now, I think, if I remember correctly, I think Minnesota offered him four years, sixteen or something like that, and I was like, "That's an easy match for us." Like he's a, he's a, he's, a, he's what we epitomise in Milwaukee, like tough, tough, high basketball IQ, shot, shot, you know, shot the piece out of the ball, and happy to come off the bench for us and played a key role for us, won us a lot of games, let him walk. Um, and there was a few other guys I, I can't remember exactly, but then, um, yeah, we just we just brought in a lot of talent, a lot of talented guys in their own right, but it just didn't fit. It looked, it looked good on paper. Um, it looked very good on paper, and it just it just didn't mesh culturally. I think you know a lot of guys. You know, I think Brandon clashed with a lot of the new guys. Um, I didn't clash with any of the guys, but it was just it just wasn't a good a good fit um, as far as basketball goes, and and um, that that was probably the most frustrating thing. And then and then they tried to to then flip that team into another home run by you know bringing in uh, my man Stephen Jackson, who <laughs> you know he was. One thing I will say, when he was on the court, he was sensational to play with. He was, he was um, as gritty and physical as they came, and he was a winner. But um, you know, off the court, as soon as we, we traded for him, he wanted an extension at 30, 34 years old. So he was basically like, you know, if you don't want to give me my extension, get me out of here. So you know, those, those are the kind of things off the court that kind of kind of affected a lot of guys, and 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 you know, it ended up being that it's going to have to eventually be be blown up because we'll just. Like I said, we're just sitting in that. We're sitting in that. Our ceiling was a six seed, and our our worst would be a fourteen seed every every season. You know, and um, it was getting to that point where where things needed to be changed, and then basically I was out of there. Attention, past, present, and future my bookie players. During Thanksgiving week, my bookie is offering a risk free bet on the Bears Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congrats. You've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well. My bookie will give you all of your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. I highly recommend you do not bet money, real money, on Mitch Trubisky, however. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. My bookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. Just log on to mybookie.ag and make your first deposit with promo code LOCKEDONNBA and mybookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll and that's on top of the risk-free bet already mentioned. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by you simply can't lose. Make sure you do your part to support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with my bookie. You play, you win, you get paid. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly... I mean, I was about to say that uh, the eighth seed 
or bust, I guess, term that gets thrown around there. And it certainly felt like that's where the Bucks were. I mean, did, given that the, the moves that they were coming in, maybe it's different earlier in your career when you're establishing yourself. But by that point, uh, you're, you know, you're 26, 27, 28. I only had the, the playoff series uh, in, in your rookie year. Were you at the point where you're like, I think I just need to change. I think I need to get out of here. I want to, winning is becoming more important to me uh, in the lead up to that trade, even before it happened. Yeah, I think so. I think it was just more, you know, stability. I, I feel like, um, yeah. you know, like you said, the, the goal was eighth or bust most years, and it was, it was, it was, it was like, no, that's not good. Like, not good enough. Like, okay, um, maybe that's that's gonna have us break even financially or whatever it is. But it was like, if that's if that's all we're aiming for, like, we're never really going to be in a position to to be competitive. And it just it just constantly felt like a revolving door. You know, with guys just. Like I said earlier, coming in for a year, getting their numbers up, and then either demanding a trade or or leaving in free agency and just going somewhere else. So um, it was never a place where you'd you'd sign a free agent and they'd buy a house there and be like, "Yep, yeah, I'm happy to be here." Um, whereas now it is they've, they've done a sensational job. The new ownership group and everybody else there have done a fantastic job with trying to build that culture. And it obviously starts with Giannis being the main guy. But when I was there, it was it was it was very rare that. You know, you'd sign a guy for a four or five year deal, and they commit to the city. They'd, they'd basically, you know, a lot of guys would come in literally on the day before training camp um, and leave the day after the season. No one would actually want to spend time there, and, and that was that was a little bit frustrating. Yeah, and and obviously then the year after, I mean, you have an ankle injury at the time, but you are uh, traded to to the Warriors, and then obviously for yourself, <laughs> that turns out to be a pretty good move, but. I, one thing I've always been interested in when I when I look and and when I was I was watching you coming into the league, you read your draft, uh, you know, scouting reports and all these things. Everything that you read and everything that you saw when you played is great jump shot, range out to the three point line, and it was never really. I mean, you did shoot some, and you actually shot a decent percentage in in sort of year three and four of your career from that from that mid range position, but and it was never really something that was a huge part of your NBA game. And I, I guess I always wondered why that never came in. Was that a coaching thing? Was that uh, yourself feeling more comfortable in the post? What what happened to the to the jump shot, I guess? This is a pre-arm injury, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I shot it a little bit. I wasn't shooting threes. Um, probably should have just been more confident and aggressive with it coming in. Um, I guess I played in... You know, my first couple of years was that traditional four and five that were both bangers and just kind of run around the paint, and that was me and Jamal Glor. And um, it just wasn't wasn't a thing back then, really. And I, I probably should have taken more onus on on being confident with it and, and keep on shooting it. But yeah, I mean, I was more comfortable in the post than and in the high post, and shot those ones comfortably and shot a decent clip. You know, I wouldn't shoot a lot of them, but I'd shoot two or three for for a game and keep the defense honest. Um, and yeah, just never really got to the point where I was. Where I was, where I was shooting three balls, but um, and then yeah, that look that up, that arm injury basically, you know, changed all of that for the mid range. You know, things just went went uh, went went south as far as as far as having that flexibility to do it, and also just just having that confidence to to, to get that mobility back then to shoot it. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned Giannis, and and he's clearly, I mean, he's shooting the three pretty well at the moment, but he he's still struggling from the free throw line. And for someone like yourself who in college who did have such a nice mid-range jump shot, the free throw percentage was never really up there, even in your early uh, seasons. And I'm interested for you, was this a mechanics thing in turn? I mean, I'm sure it's not repetition. If you go to NBA practice, you see how many free throws you're getting up. Was this a mental thing? What was it for you? Because this is a question a lot of Bucks fans have now, uh, for Giannis. Yeah, I think for me early on, it wasn't horrible. It wasn't broken, but it needed some work. Um, 
and I, I felt like I was getting there. Like I felt like that fifth of the year, I was I was getting in the mid sixties, and yeah. and felt just felt more more comfortable to get there. And then um, I knew I'd have another off season to work at it. And then then obviously snapped my elbow and didn't work on shooting the whole off season because I couldn't. Um, besides my left hand, and yeah, then it, then it just went downhill real quick. Um, it was it was you know basically I couldn't couldn't wind my elbow up with the rim for a long, long time and, and get under the ball. And funnily enough, towards the end of my career now, like playing over here in Australia, I, f- I feel way more confident in the line and, and feel like I've got it to it's probably the best point of my career later on in my career. Like I'm confident to go there and shoot 70% this year. So um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate how that all that all worked out. But I, I guess it does become a mental thing at times and, and I won't lie that there have been times where it becomes, you know, it's like putting in golf. I think it becomes a, a mental block um, where, you, where you, you know, you're just not confident and you kind of, you want to stay away from it sometimes, but um, yeah, it's something you just got you just got to get over by keep continuously getting there. And you can practice as much as you want at, at, at this point. Like you know, talking about Giannis or whoever it is, yeah. um, you know, I mean Dwight Howard, whoever it is, myself, you know, we can, in, in a practice gym we can you know ten, fifteen, twenty in a row, no worries. You know what I mean? And 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 then it's just I guess it's just that mental barrier in a game, different distractions. Maybe you haven't shot enough, or you haven't shot the ball for for, for a quarter or two, or or felt the ball, and then all of a sudden you get to the line, and, and that's that's you know, that's where it gets tricky. But um, yeah, you can I, I can assure you most 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 free throw shooters that that, that don't shoot it well are putting in the time and effort off off the floor. You know, a lot of fans are like, oh, why don't they just get in the gym yeah. and work on it? I can assure you they are. Um, it's just you know, it's just that different feeling and pressure of a game and having that mental block of just just seeing it, you know, trying to see it going. All right, a couple of fun ones to finish this off from from the from the Bucks uh, part of your career. I've asked you this before on the phone. I think I know a couple of guys that you're probably going to say, but favorite teammate from your time in Milwaukee? Probably Carlos Delfino was one. Um, yeah. You know, being an international guy, we were kind of always always together on the road, going out to eat. Um, you know, so he was he was really you know really, really good. <clears throat> Really good to go out with, good sense of humour, um, and his wife and and, and my at the time now wife we were really good friends as well. So that kind of that kind of went well. Um, who else? Um, Desmond Mason was a really good veteran. Um, had him a little bit in my rookie year, and then he came back. I think my third year for a year. So he was he was um, just a great steady mentor, um, especially off the court. Like he was still remember this. He was driving like a six or seven year old BMW at the time and guys used to laugh at him and we were just like, yeah, man, like I'm saving my money. Um, so I, I kind of yeah. always would try to talk to him a little bit on the bus just because he was, he was pretty level headed for, for a guy that was a star in Seattle and came over in that trade obviously and um, probably him and um, Ersan as well, Elise Sova was there, um, kind of was myself, him and, and, and Carlos were kind of spent a lot of time together but um, there, was, there was some different groups like on the plane, Brandon, Brandon Jennings and Kurt Thomas Myself would play a lot of poker as well, and, and Kurt was a really good guy to talk to and have fun with as well. So, those would probably be the main guys. Yeah, and you, you mentioned Ersan, and uh, like, I think last time I spoke to you was for a story I was doing on Ersan, and uh, I'm not sure if many of the listeners read that, but uh, Ersan still to this day credits uh, Andrew for teaching him how to take charges. He said he never took him <laughs> in junior basketball or anything like that. So, he's, he's the best in the game, he leads it every single year. But what about favorite moment? Do you have one moment or game or whatever it may be for any time in Milwaukee that stands out? Um, ooh, um, probably my rookie year, hit a game winner against San Antonio. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, the, the people that know me know an idol of mine was, was Tony Kukoc growing up. 
Um, so if you go back to that that play, Tony Kukoc was the inbounder. Um, so he actually inbounded it to me, and I hit the hit the game winner from just outside the block on a lob kind of lob pass and and a walk off game winner against San Antonio, who who were then I believe were the defending champs. So. Um, yeah, that was an unbelievable feeling playing against obviously Tim Duncan and Popovich and Spurs and, and the aura of playing against one of the best best NBA teams of the last twenty years. Um, that was that was a great feeling, and and then I think just that fear that year um, as a whole. I think even though even though it ended badly for me, I think just seeing Milwaukee fill out that arena, we pushed Atlanta to seven games. Obviously, I, I didn't play a broken elbow, but just just seeing the crowd finally be so thankful of having having a playoff team to cheer for and how loud and and, and rocking that Bradley Center was, and that was probably another fond memory. What was the ceiling for that team when you think back? If you're healthy and you're and you're and you're playing, when you when you think back about that team? Oh, uh, yeah, I feel like we beat it. I feel, I feel like we, you know, it's easy to talk in hindsight, and yeah. I feel like we beat Atlanta at least. I think we get through the first round, and and I, I think that year um, was a Boston. I think KG went down for Boston. I think in the playoffs. Um, so I think that they were, they were the next round opponent possibly, but um, you never know what can happen from there. But I, I feel like we would have got to the second round, and and you know Atlanta was still a pretty relatively young team with a few veterans. Horford was young, and a few other guys. And I think there um, might be a few veterans, but um, yeah, I felt like we would have, we would have got by them, and and then you never know what can happen from there. But um, yeah, that was that was kind of a, a good year as far as Milwaukee went. All right, and we'll wrap it up. Last one here. For those that don't know, Andrew is now playing for the Sydney Kings, who are, I believe, a 9-1 at the moment. Andrew was the MVP in the league last year, but then you came back and played in the NBA. And I think when we spoke, this was just after you signed with the Warriors, you seemed like that was going to be it, the one last run. And then I, I thought I could like get a sense that you were like, this is pretty cool. I could maybe do that again. Obviously, the Warriors aren't going to be in that position. Have you completely put the line through coming back this season for one last playoff run? I haven't put the line through it. No, I've never put the line through anything. Um, you know, it's if if there's a, a good opportunity um, with a good team to to hitch my kind of trailer on to get a championship, I'll probably I'll probably <laughs> definitely listen. Um, there's been a few teams that have been kicking the tires already about availability. You know, when, when will I be available if I am? Um, but obviously, I'll finish off this season here in Sydney. And, and if it's a, if there's something that's you know both appealing to myself, my family, and and the team, we'll look at it. But it won't be a case of of going back at all costs just to anybody I can you know um, if there's a genuine opportunity to try and try and extend the resume and, and compete for a championship I'd do it if not um, you know I'll take a much needed two or three months um, of, of training and rest before the Tokyo Olympics in 2020 and and then see what happens after that alright so one last championship run is still open but uh, yeah we will leave it there mate seriously I uh, really appreciate you taking the time in the middle of uh, your season to jump on and talk about some stuff that like I said hasn't been spoken about uh, a lot so uh, yeah we really appreciate you jumping on no worries man thanks So we will leave it there for this Wednesday episode of Locked On Bucks. Hopefully you found that chat with Andrew Bogut uh, an interesting one and and sort of revealing into some of the things that went on during his time in, in Milwaukee. Clearly a much maligned player over his time uh, with the Bucks, And I, I think that that's something that comes with being a, a number one draft pick, which was one of the things I asked right off the top. It's, uh, it's tough. And, you know, being a part of that franchise that, was just on the treadmill 
constantly on the treadmill and, and never really giving anyone, uh, whether it was us or as revealed by Andrew himself, any hope that there was going to be real success and you were going to have a chance to really compete. And that was a frustration for a, a lot of Bucks fans during that, that time and, and clearly the players as well. So, yeah, I, I, again, I hope you, you really enjoyed that chat. Uh, I'll continue to keep trying to bring the guests in uh, as I can. But the Bucks are back tomorrow. They will take on the Hawks. 6.30 p.m. tip-off on the road. Uh, the final game of a three-game road trip for the Bucks before they finally get to come home and have 12 of 15 at Fiserv Forum. So for Andrew Bogut and myself, Kane Pittman, I'll be back tomorrow.